0: Be still and know that God is he. Be still and know that God is he. Be still and know that God is he. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and the Amen. Please proceed. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing, though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self Good morning, God's beloved. And welcome to the next three weeks of our annual giving campaign. Now you can't see my manuscript here in front of me to notice that I have an exclamation point at the end of the previous sentence. Why might that be? Well, it's certainly not because I love talking about money any more than anybody else. But rather, it's because I'm crazy. I'm crazy about this place. I'm crazy about all of you. I'm crazy about this ministry that we share and how we are growing together in God's love. And yes, others might just say I'm crazy, but I'm crazy about all those things too. I am crazy delighted believing in a God who shows up as love in our lives again and again. Sometimes it is indeed necessary to repeat a thing, its loveliness. I want us to really hear and take in deeply this beautiful line from this section of a poem by Galway Kinnell. I want us to write it on our hearts in hope of remembering it in the three weeks ahead. As we talk about this ministry, each week you will hear from some of our members, all of them reminding us of how sacred and lovely it is to be a part of this community. As we look at today's gospel, you may not be surprised to hear that I disagree ever so slightly with traditional biblical interpretation that has posited this story as a story the story of Zacchaeus, as a story of repentance. Here's how that traditional reading goes. Jesus seeks out Zacchaeus, a notorious chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus, repents of his sin and promises he will make amends. Acknowledging Zacchaeus' repentance, Jesus then declares that salvation has come to his house. But here's the problem. The problem with this interpretation is that neither Jesus nor Zacchaeus says anything about sin or repentance. It is the crowd that levels that judgment. It is the crowd that sneers and grumbles, dare I say, bullies, when Jesus decides to go to Zacchaeus' house, passing judgment in Jesus' choice of different companions. It is the crowd that calls Zacchaeus a sinner. So it is in response to their name-calling that Zacchaeus responds. Furthermore, other scholars have noted this traditional reading has also made a significant mistake in the Greek-to-English translations of this part of the story. Now bear with me. In the original Greek, Zacchaeus doesn't actually promise to give half of his possessions or to repay his debts in the future as we are led to believe the translation we just heard. In the original Greek, he says he is already doing that, an active verb. He is already doing that, claiming that he probably, a claim that he makes in light of the crowd, probably accusing him of being a sinner. The verb tense used in the Greek is present, not future tense. And why does that matter? Because Zacchaeus is not saying, I will give. Or I will give or pay back in the future, but rather he's saying, right now, no matter what people are saying about me, right now, I give half of my money to the poor and I repay my debts to those I have defrauded, right now. So I believe, as a smaller and more radical group of scholars have suggested, that the key to this story might not be about sin and forgiveness at all. But it might be more about finding ways to see what we love and what we are doing right now. It's a story, I think, about spiritual sight. About learning to see with our hearts. Zacchaeus, for reasons we will never know, wants to see Jesus. Because he is, what do we say, vertically challenged?
1: He can't see him, so he pushes his way and climbs up a
0: tree. He runs ahead down the road, shimmies up this tree to get a better view, to be able to see Jesus. When Jesus comes his way, Jesus looks up, Jesus sees him, and invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And this is the interesting part of the story to me. Why does Jesus do that? Why do you think of all of the places he put invited himself, why do you think there's a short man up in a tree, and Jesus invites himself over there? Maybe, maybe this is because Jesus has seen Zacchaeus when others don't. Not just to notice him as a man sitting in a tree, but really see him, especially when the crowd has not only rejected him because of his profession as a tax collector, but as it turns out, falsely accused him of unethical behavior. Have you ever felt judged? Have you ever felt falsely accused of something, large or small? Have you ever wanted just one person to look at you and know that you are telling the truth? So what did Jesus see when he looked up in that tree? Of all the evangelists, in the Gospel of Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke seems to be the most sensitive to issues of money. The Jesus we meet in the Gospel of Luke is always championing the underdog, always first to advocate for the rights and dignity of those considered least and most expendable. Jesus cares about who is living on the edge. Jesus encounters those who society has declared unfit and wants to ignore, and Jesus sees them. Jesus recognizes them, seeks them out, spends time with them, and in all these ways honors and blesses them. But that is not what Jesus saw when he looked up into those branches that day, I suspect. I suspect that what he saw was actually a very clean, well-dressed, articulated, probably like many of us, over-educated individual. From all visible accounts, Jesus would have seen this right away. And yet, he declares that Zacchaeus, a wealthy cheap tax collector who is despised by his neighbors, is also a child of Abraham, a beloved child of God, and a recipient of God's salvation. It seems that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus doesn't care so much about wealth, per se, as about what we do with our wealth. And if we can trust the work of our Greek scholars, it seems that Zacchaeus is indeed doing good things. This is the moment in the story when I think Jesus breaks down all of our attempts to separate ourselves from any the one that we consider other in our lives. Whether by class or race or ethnicity, political view, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental ability, This is the reminder that we all have limited sight. Each of us suffers from not being able to really see from time to time. And it is in that moment of blindness, we need to be that, well, sometimes reminded that we are lovely. I have a friend who is a very successful small business owner in Ann Arbor. And years ago, I asked her what she attributes her success to, and she said very quickly in response and simply, my parents taught me that everyone is somebody's favorite person. Put yourself in a place of treating everyone as someone's favorite person, as are you, and the world will change around you. Our fear of the other turns into judgment, and we forget sometimes that we are called by name, loved completely, and gifted to a different way of seeing and being in the world. To the crowd in this morning's story, Jesus disappoints. He is not doing what they want him to do. He sees what they cannot or will not see, and I fear that we too are often that crowd. We want God to have some of the same standards we do, thank you very much. It would all work out so much more easily for me. Because if God isn't going to stick to my standards, then what am I going to count on? And what do we teach our children? And how do they learn what it means to be faithful? As I read the gospel and live and love in this community, I am starting to loosen a lifetime stronghold grip I have had trying to figure out who is right and who is wrong in the world. I believe my energy is better spent attending to my blind spots and trying to see Zacchaeus the way that Jesus did. I think Jesus doesn't frankly care so much about my small opinions and preferences. Rather, I might do better to redirect some of my energy to simply remembering that we can reteach ourselves and others the ancient and seminal truth, that we are indeed lovely, made in the image of a beautiful God.
1: In the end, the only thing I think God cares about
0: is really seeing, truly seeing, and seeking out the lost and bringing them home. God's love blows apart my limited notions of who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, which can be rather upsetting, at. Yes. Whether to the crowds of Zacchaeus' days or myself. But then there is a moment. Then there is the moment when we are the ones who are down and out or feel invisible. Whether because of our actions or our inactions or things that others have done or said. Whether because of illness or loss whether because of our gender or race or age or sexuality or gender preference or abilities or employment or a housing, blah, 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 blah. We all feel other And whenever we find ourselves on the outside abandoned or fearful or invisible, that's when we're called. That's when we're called to push out of the crowd, find the nearest street, scurry on up it, and wait for God who promises to see us and seek us out, and bring us home. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. So sometimes it is necessary to repeat a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self May it be